in this message series called Domino Effect. We've been looking at how simple acts of faithfulness can lead to greater and greater acts of faithfulness, right? And today, we want to talk about stepping up, stepping up in our relationships, because we talked already about looking up, looking to Jesus, uh, the one who, has, who is the Lord of all the universe. And when we look up to Jesus, it changes the way that we look at the world around us. It also changes our relationships with other people. When we're looking up to Jesus, you know, we talk in here about the first half and second half of the gospel, right? First half is you love God. Second half is you love others. And they, they just go hand in hand. You don't have the whole gospel unless you've got both of those. So today I want to talk a, bit, a little bit about what that means uh, to step up in our relationships with others. We're going to be looking at some verses from Colossians chapter 3. And in these verses, Paul is he's kind of given us some instructions, some tangible things for how we live our lives, how we relate to others. So, so let's jump right in here, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Oh great, non-controversial stuff today. This will be awesome. Now we read these words and we're like, well, is, this, is this book still relevant today, right? Like what, what, these words, they, they, they were written a while back, right? Like is the, what's the point of studying them, you might ask? These repeat some words that Paul had said in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. He said very similar things. In fact, some of them were even more extended than that. So what's Paul saying here? Is there relevance? Well, we got to start off by looking at the original context because you can't understand Scripture for today if you don't understand Scripture for what it meant to those to whom it was originally written. Paul was writing to a church, a church in a town called Colossae. That's why the book's called Colossians. And he's writing to a church that was part of the Roman Empire, kind of a small to mid-sized city there, um, Roman city. And they were used to the way their society functioned. Because when it comes to family relationships, these things are driven by the, the, the way your society works. Like the way that we treat each other in America as family is different than many other parts of the world today. Uh, your society kind of sets those, those social norms. For them at the time, uh, females were considered property of males. Now that doesn't mean that's right. It's not. It was simply how their society worked. Um, and so a woman was either the property of her dad, or then she'd get married and become the property of her husband. In fact, we have little echoes of this in our, uh, in, in our traditional wedding ceremony, right? Where the, the, the father will oftentimes walk the bride down the aisle, right, in the traditional sense. And as pastor, I'll say, who gives this woman to be married? And he will say, her mother and I. Although I had one guy who just said, I do. Oh, yeah, you, you carried her for nine months. That's right. I forgot about that. My bad, right? But, but regardless, um, we, we, we say that even though it's not really true, right? It's, it's more of a way we're just kind of throwing a bone to the father of the bride, right? Because, I mean, otherwise all he gets to do is write the check for the wedding, right? And it seems like we should, we should give him something, right? But it's not that he owns her. It's symbolic of the fact that, that our family loves and supports, uh, uh, supports her, and it's not an ownership kind of thing. But in those days, it was ownership, basically. And so Paul's words were normal 
for that society. In fact, in Roman society, they believed the family is the building block of the society, and they believed that actually that males had been God-ordained to lead, and so they believed that if you weren't doing that at home, you were actually messing with the core fabric of Roman society. So that was a big deal. Like, they took this very seriously. And in Rome, they, they, had the, they had Roman gods, Roman religion, but they tolerated a variety of other religions. But the thing is that for a religion to be tolerated, it had to not mess with the core social fabric of the world around, okay? They, they wouldn't tolerate religions that seemed to be tearing that apart. So what Paul's saying here would have been considered normal. Nobody would have cringed or, or even laughed when that verse was, was when they read that verse. It would have been considered to be fairly normal. And we might read this and say, oh, is this just like Paul's timeless, just, just blanket endorsement of that culture? Well, no, it's not. In fact, Paul and other scriptures actually elevate the role of women above what society did. Paul called followers of Jesus to be different than the rest of society. Next verse, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's a a bit of what he said in Ephesians 6 when he said, Love your wives as Christ loves the church, who, by the way, he died for. Okay, So that's a big deal. In Ephesians 6, uh, Paul talks about submitting to one another, like submission as a mutual thing out of reverence for Christ. So Paul's real clear that this isn't just the, the Roman version of it. Well, while he affirms that, that's the world they lived in, he challenges them to be different. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh. Don't be mean. Don't, don't mistreat. Okay? He, he recognizes the world that he lives in, but he calls them to step up, to step up in their, loves, their love for their wives. Don't treat her harshly. Love her. Love her like Jesus loves her. Personally, how I interpret these passages, I, and they're controversial. Christians disagree about them. Uh, but I believe uh, that, excuse me, that, that mutual submission is certainly essential uh, that we've got to submit to each other in love. Uh, I believe the Bible calls men to step up and to be spiritual leaders in our homes, that that's a responsibility uh, that God gives us that we must take very seriously. But that doesn't mean that males make all the decisions in home or anything like that. For example, many uh, got to know many or have gotten to know many of you uh, here at Anderson Hills and got to hear your story about how you came here. And for many of you, you've said that, you know, we weren't raised... Methodist, you know, uh, one of us was brought up Catholic, right, and and the other was brought up Hellraiser. So we thought Methodist was a fair compromise, right? <laughs> Something like that. But you didn't pick this church because the guy said, "I want to go to that church." Like that's that's not what we mean by spiritual leadership. Okay, um, we submit to one another in love out of reverence for Christ. As long as we're submitting to each other in love and we're seeking Jesus first, I think it works really, really well. Uh, Continues on, verse 20, Paul gives similar instructions with parents and children. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So once again, 
He affirms kind of the normal Roman order of the world that, you know, parents, <laughs> they're the ones in charge here. Children need to obey them um, because your, the parents are placed there by God. Parents are, are, are a gift from God that, and responsible to help our children to grow up in faith, to grow up in love for Jesus Christ, to grow up in the things you need to know to live in this world. And so that means that parents, of course, are called to love. They're called to give good gifts to their children. They're called to teach and to instruct their children. They're also called to discipline their children when they go off track. Uh, These are part of what it means to be a parent. And Paul speaks to children and says, hey, this is what your parents are here for. So you obey them in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So we don't But as parents, we don't treat them badly in a way that leads them to be bitter. Uh, And it's important to differentiate, though, and know this doesn't mean Paul's not saying that your kids will always like you. Newsflash, they won't. They won't. It doesn't mean that you always be like number one best buddy in their eyes. You won't. If you're raising them, if you're, if you're correcting and disciplining and training and all this stuff, you won't always be the most popular person. You won't always be their best friend. And that's okay because they have lots of friends. They get one set of parents. And we're responsible to be faithful to, to God in, in these relationships. To love them, to guide them. Not in a way, though, that embitters them. Not to be mean, not to be cruel, not to be abusive not to be harsh, not to embitter them. And finally, Paul gives one more group of people Paul talks to. And this one we've got to interpret really carefully because if we do, if we understand it right, there's really powerful life-changing truth in this. But sometimes it's been misunderstood. Verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now, when I read the word slave, naturally as an American, my mind immediately goes to, to the early American enslavement of Africans, which, just to be clear, was a horrible, awful, evil atrocity from the pit of hell. Plain and simple. Nothing acceptable about that. Nothing good or right about that. And there have been folks that have used these, back in those days, used verses like this to justify slavery as being uh, something that God actually ordained. That's not true. In fact, to get there, you've got to ignore a ton of other verses in the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself, about loving as Jesus loves, about loving sacrificially, all these kinds of things you got to ignore a whole lot of Scripture to get to a messed up place like that. Slavery was common in Paul's day, and it had similarities and differences to, uh, to slavery in the United States. A couple differences. First, a, a slave in Roman Empire could sometimes work to actually earn their freedom. Sometimes that was possible. Um, but second, probably the biggest difference is people were not enslaved because of the color of their skin. People were enslaved typically because they were conquered in, in battle, and the Romans did a lot of conquering. 
uh, and sometimes for financial reasons. Sometimes people would get themselves in financial trouble, and you didn't have things like bankruptcy today. And so a person would sometimes sell themselves or be sold into slavery to, to pay a debt. In fact, sometimes people would even sell their own children into slavery. It's a horrible, awful thing. So we read this and say, well, what is God doing? Is God endorsing that? Because that sounds terrible. I don't, I don't want to follow a God who endorses that. Well, it's important to differentiate between what the, between an endorsement, which is this is not, and a pastoral word to a congregation that included slaves. So you've got to understand the church at this time had very little political power. The church was fairly small. It was growing, but had no real substantial influence in the Roman Empire. In many places in the Roman Empire, slaves made up up to 30% or more of the population. Okay, so slavery was very, very common. In fact, the Roman Senate at one point uh, considered a motion, uh, considered a law to, um, to make slaves wear a certain type of identifier, a certain uniform or band or something like that. And they actually decided against it because they realized there were so many slaves. If the slaves knew who all was slaves, then they would rise up and revolt. They'd realize how powerful they were. So it was very common. So Paul has this problem. He's writing a letter to a church in Colossae. It's a church that includes slaves. So how does he instruct them? Since you can't, at that time, the church couldn't eliminate slavery, what do you say to the people who are slaves? How are you supposed to live as a follower of Jesus when you don't really have much freedom? And you read these verses, it's for freedom that Christ set us free, but they're not free. Well, earlier in the book, Paul said this way. He said, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. So here he has kind of a subtle rejection of slavery there, if you will. He's saying that in Christ, <laughs> there's no slaves. There's no, we're, we're all, the ground is level, right? There's, there's, there's not this same hierarchy. But here he teaches us, since you live in Rome, since you have to deal with this reality, here's how you live in it. And he gives, this, gives instructions to them. Verse 23, this is relevant for us too. He says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That doesn't mean that Christ agrees with bad treatment of people. No. What he's saying is, is that when slaves, when you work, God sees you. God knows the injustice there's an eternal reward out there for you. Because if you're a slave, there's not much to be excited about in life. This life is very cruel and very difficult. So you're working for the Lord. You're not just working for people. There's actually a, a greater reward out there that the Lord sees you, the Lord cares. And I think it's relevant for us today, even though thank God we've gotten rid here in this country of the evil atrocity of that type of slavery. I, I, I understand that that's still very real in our world and even in our country in certain ways. But as people who work, 
we can understand the truth of these things as well. Whether you have a job formally and you get a paycheck, whether you're retired, whatever it is, these words are relevant to us. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, this is, this is amazing when you think about it. We are supposed to do, when we work, when, when we put our effort into something, we're supposed to work at it with all our heart. In other words, give our best. Give our best to everything we do. We're supposed to do excellent work, not shoddy work, not phoned-in work. As followers of Jesus, we're supposed to do excellent work. Why? So that you can impress the boss, get a raise, move up the corporate ladder. That stuff's okay. That's, it's not evil, but there's a better reason. There's a bigger reason. You're, you're doing it for the Lord, it says, not for people. You will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Now, this is a total game changer, okay? It's a total game changer in the way you look at work because the effort that you give is a direct reflection on your feelings about the leadership, right? The effort that you give at work is a direct reflection of your feelings about the leadership. So there's been a lot of studies that have shown this, that sometimes uh, very high or even the highest factor in employee retention is, how's your relationship with the boss? How do you and your supervisor get along? How do you feel as part of this culture here at work? Do you feel at home? Do you feel appreciated? Do you feel valued? Then you're likely to do really good work. But if you feel underappreciated, unimportant, like low person on the totem pole, you oftentimes work that way as well. You kind of phone it in, don't really see the value in it. The effort that you give, it can be a direct reflection about your feeling about the leadership. Example from my own life. I remember I was a freshman in college. It was the first semester. And, you know, you got a lot of gen eds then. And I had a gen ed uh, uh, in literature with a professor named Dr. Hensley. And I'd heard about Dr. Hensley before. I knew that he had a reputation for, for being kind of tough, but that was about all I knew. I hadn't been at college that long. And I remember my first class with him, uh, he did the same thing that day that he did every day. He walked into the room as the, like, as the clock was ticking 10 a.m., right, when the class started. He rocked, walked in right at that moment, immediately slams the door, locks the door, and nobody was coming in after that moment. I remember he's walking forward, and you hear the door rattling, right, as somebody's outside, and no student in that class dared to open the door for him, right, because we were all pretty nervous at this point. And he went up to the front, to the chalkboard, and uh, this is back when we had chalkboards, and he writes on the chalkboard, he writes some rules, right? And, and the first rule I remember he wrote was, Dr. Hensley is not Mr. Rogers. And I remember thinking, who is this guy anyways? Like, this is crazy, right? And he writes, Dr. Hensley does not accept you the way that you are. And the third one was, Dr. Hensley expects you to leave this class much, much better. And he would show us tough love, let me tell you. I remember 
the first paper that I turned in in that class. Uh, it was, the assignment was actually, it was very similar to an assignment I had just done a few months ago in high school. So I dusted off that paper, I fixed it up and improved it a little bit, saved myself a ton of time, was so happy with myself. You can imagine where this is going, right? I get that paper back, and there's red ink all over that thing. At the top, the grade is C, in big letters, C, and it's circled. And he writes, mediocre, in like large caps all across the tops of it. And I get to the end of the paper, and he's written like this paragraph. And I still remember it started off, and it said, John Ferguson, I know who you are, and I know that this, is, this garbage is below you. You better never turn anything like this to me again. But, oh my gosh, like, I've never received that kind of feedback on a paper. I mean, I got some bad grades, don't get me wrong, but, but never that kind of feedback, right? And he told us in class, he said, if any of you are in here and you're planning just to phone it in this semester, you better run, not walk to the registrar and get all your money back because I will fail you. That, that was intimidating, I'm not going to lie. But let me tell you, over time in that class, I grew to love that professor, to see that he did actually care about me. Because when we would succeed, when you would do well, he made the biggest deal of it. For all the grief that he'd give you when you stumbled, he would celebrate when you succeeded. And in that gen ed class that I wasn't paying on really, or planning on really caring that much about, I put my best effort into it. Why? Because of the relationship that I built with Dr. Hensley. You see, the way that you work is directly connected to your relationship with the person that you're working for. And Paul is challenging us, and he's saying, some of you, (laughs) you're looking at the wrong person as your leader. You think that you're working for your slave. You think you're working for that master. Or for us today, you think that you're working for the boss. Or if you're a student, you think that you're doing work for the teacher. Or if you play a sport, you think you're running these laps for the coach. Or if, uh, if you're retired, you think that you're doing it, well, maybe just for yourself. I don't know. But whoever you're doing it for, no, that's not it. It says you are working for the Lord, not for people. This changes everything when you think about it. It changes the way that you look at work. When you look at whatever it is that you're doing, you say, God is calling me to do this for him. If I was going to turn this paper into Jesus, if I was going to make this sales pitch and Jesus was sitting right there, if, if I was going to, to build this house or if I was going to fix whatever it is you fix, or if you were going to, if you were going to make that, that uh, litigation, if you are going to make that argument in court, or, or if you were going to, to manage that team, or if you were going to, to help that patient who needs medical care, or whatever it is you do, if you were going to clean that house, if you were going to raise those kids, whatever it is that you do, how would it be different if you saw it as working for the Lord, not for people? If you saw it as like your calling to do this for the Lord, I think it would change things. As followers of Jesus, these, passages, these verses basically, if I can sum it up, say that as Christians, we should give everything every time. When we are working, when we are serving, everything every time. We don't phone it in. 
because we're called to do better, because we're working for the Lord, not for people. It's, it's everything, every time. It's not phoned in. We, we don't look over when we're running laps at practice, right? And we look over, and we see that coach who's holding the, the clipboard, and we think, he could never run these laps. Look at him, right? No, nope, we don't slack off because of that. We're working for the Lord, not for people. When, when you're at work and, and your boss gives you a si- an assignment, and you think, man, I, he never works that hard, right? That, that boss, he, he would never do this. He just dumps it on me. Nope, we're not going to look at it that way. We're going to say, I want to do this for the Lord, not for people. When, when I'm cleaning stuff up around the house, I'm like, you know what? Everybody always messes this place up. Why should I even, spend, why should I even do this well, right? Because they don't care. Nope. I'm going to do it as an act of worship to the Lord, not for people. Christians, we should have a reputation for being like the best in our fields. We really should. Because we, when people look at us, what if somebody saw your resume and they saw that you volunteered at Anderson Hills, whatever, they put two and two together and realized you're a follower of Jesus. People should see that and say, yes. This is a person who's got great work ethic. This is a person who's going to give their all, who's going to give their best. I don't even know why they do it, but they're one of those Jesus people, and they seem to do really good work. I don't know what's going on inside of them, but we know. It's because we're not just working for a paycheck. We're not just working for a promotion. We're not just working to earn the next trip or bonus or whatever it is in your world. No, we're doing it for the Lord, not for people. We give everything every time because this is our calling, because we serve Jesus, because we serve the creator of the universe, and our, our, our work is an act of worship to him. Because guess what? Today you woke up. You took some breaths. You put your feet on the floor probably. You got up. You got here, right? So that's a gift. You've got another day to be here, another day to serve Jesus, another day to, to build his kingdom, another day to do whatever it is that he calls you to do. It changes the way that you look at work. It changes it all for the better. It gives you joy when you're doing great work because you know you're doing it for the Lord, not for people. What if we look at all our relationships like this? Marriage, parenting, work, friendships. We're doing them for the Lord, not for people. Because the fact is, relationships are work. They are. They, they take a lot of work, in fact. And as pastors, sometimes we'll, we'll meet with couples, right? And it's a very common scenario that each person knows where 90% of the problems are. With my spouse, of course, right? And, and I'll work on my 10% someday once they start making progress, but really, who cares? I can't fix all this. Nope. That's not how we look at it. We say, I'm called to work on me. I'm doing it for the Lord, not for him or her. The Lord called me to this. In our relationship with our kids, in our relationship with your friends, whoever it is, your relationship with your boss, your relationship with your employees, these relationships matter because I follow Jesus. And so I should be different. I'm going to work for the Lord, not for people. When you came in today, I believe you received a, a domino. If not, they're out there. Uh, I encourage you to grab one. So last week of this series, 
you might want to take it, take it home and grab like a Sharpie and take on the back and just write, has there been a favorite verse for you in this series? You can just write that reference, write those numbers on the back uh, of your domino. It's a way to, to remember the work that God's been doing in your life. And maybe for you, maybe if it's these verses you write, 3, 24, and 25, that maybe you're going to take this domino and you're going to set it on your desk at work or you're going to put it in your toolbox or you're going to put it in a place that's prominent in your home so you see uh, when, you know, or maybe you're going to put it by the diaper changing table, right? That's a difficult one to do for the Lord sometimes, whatever it is. So when you see this thing, you know, I'm not just working for, for anybody. I'm working for Jesus. And it makes all the difference in the world. So God, thank you that you have called us to serve you, to follow you, to love you. Forgive us for the times when we give less than our best, when we give less than our all, because we get caught up in what people around us are doing or not doing. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your followers to just be the absolute best that we can be, that we would take the strengths, the gifts, the calling that you've given us, and that we would use those for your glory. That whether we're serving here at church, whether we're working on our jobs, whether we're relating to our spouse or our kids or our friends or whatever, God, I just pray that we would do it all for your glory. That we would truly, uh, that we would truly give everything every time because you, Jesus, are Lord. You are the leader. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.